0: Welcome to Views with Dee De La Cruz, a podcast of a girl just trying to make sense of the world through expressing views and diverse interviews. Hey, friends. Did you miss me? It's been six months since the last episode of Views. And while part of me is very apologetic about that, another part of me doesn't feel apologetic at all because I'm sure you and I both can attest. these last six months have been really, really exhausting. Turns out transitioning into this new normal under pandemic times is nothing but normal. And I have a lot of empathy for myself and for everyone else that's just trying to get by right now. I am very excited to release this episode that I recorded six months ago with my friend, Anthony Victoria. Anthony is an environmental activist from the Inland Empire of Southern California. In this episode, Anthony talks to me a lot about the logistics industry in the IE and how it's impacting the quality of air and the quality of living for Inland Empire residents. We also talk about environmental racism and racial capitalism. I'm sure we've all been paying attention to the supply chain and the shortages and delays that have come about during this pandemic. And I found it really interesting to talk to someone who lives in one of the biggest logistical hubs in the nation and how that impacts the quality of life. So without further ado, here's my interview with Anthony Victoria. Thank you so much, Anthony Victoria from People's Collective for Environmental Justice for being on my podcast.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.
0: I I just wanted to dive in. Um, I feel like Amazon is on everyone's mind, uh, mostly because people like to... Give Jeff Jeff Bezos a hard time for being like a what a billionaire trillioner now, but I don't think people really realize that Amazon is doing more than just you know monopolizing and privatizing the world. Um, they're actually polluting our air, specifically to in Southern California and specifically in the region of the Inland Empire. And I know you and your community have been doing a lot of work to stand up to Amazon and their pollution. And can you kind of just give a little summary or a little uh, just touch base to people about that?
1: Jeff Bezos and Amazon is definitely creating a monopoly of sorts that is taking over the consumer economy in a lot of ways. It's 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 a logistics giant when it comes to freight and goods movement it's a technological giant when it comes to you know web services and surveillance and it's essentially just you know one of the biggest you could argue it's probably this era's standard oil company if that makes sense right i mean we've all learned about john d rockefeller and Standard Oil, which was a monopoly in its era, and Amazon is no different. Amazon, aside from being probably the largest company in the world, also owns a lot of other third party logistics companies or works with these companies to move its goods across um, our region and beyond and you know what are the ramifications of that is is i think what people need to consider, and as you mentioned, denise, a lot of it has to do, unfortunately, with air pollution and also with the exploitation of, of our communities, for sure.
0: I've been posting some stuff about the, you know, environmental um, issues going on in, in Lin Empire. And I think, like, the biggest th- thought that people don't have is that they don't realize that that box that was delivered to them within two days, they don't realize how that got to their mailbox. And they don't realize that it's actually from, usually comes from these warehouse communities in the Inland Empire. Uh, Can you explain uh, a little bit about how many warehouses exist in the Inland Empire and kind of like the the backstory of of a box that shows up at a person's doorstep from Amazon?
1: To answer your question about the amount of warehouses that are currently in this region. So put it to you this way, this region has probably millions and millions of square feet of warehouse space in this community. Actually, this past year, uh, this community broke a record, and that record was the amount of square footage in retail space that it sold to companies like Amazon. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was about 50 million square feet of land that was sold to these companies. And so you're talking about massive amounts of warehouses, uh massive amounts of of structures that are located next to homes and schools in our community. And I think a lot of times people don't think about warehouse development and they don't necessarily connect it to air pollution. Because I think because they don't see a smokestack, right, or they don't see anything that's coming out of these structures, they assume that these structures aren't harmful. But I think what people felt to take into account is, you know, what are these warehouses attracting? And, and, and these warehouses are attracting uh, thousands of trucks daily to, to our communities, uh, diesel trucks, right? And diesel trucks are very harmful um, to our health. And so, you know, to put it into perspective a little bit more, Um, a lot of us have done truck counts with community members. Um, And these community members oftentimes use clickers to count the amount of trucks that are passing through our communities. And what we've seen oftentimes is, you know, 500 trucks pass through an hour, Uh, 700 trucks pass through an hour. And this is usually either... You know, at busy corridors like Fifth Street in San Bernardino, which runs through a rail yard and actually now runs through the San Bernardino Airport, which is being expanded heavily with White House development. Um, and we've also seen up up to one thousand one hundred and sixty one trucks counted on the sixty freeway at at, at some points. Um, and that's per that's per hour. That's per hour. So. You're looking at an estimated twenty to twenty five thousand trucks a day that are passing through our corridors, right whether that be a freeway, whether that be a you know a large thoroughfare that connects to some of these warehouses, whatever you have it but i mean that that accumulates right and the particulate matter the p m two point five that and and the nitrogen uh dioxide that comes out of these trucks. Um, is really damaging to our lungs right and so how how damaging is it right it's it 's you know people that usually live within a thousand or a thousand five hundred feet from a highway are usually the most exposed to air air pollution, and what that means is you know you 're getting cancer causing substances that are elevating cancer risks in these communities and so Oftentimes, what physician or I'm sorry, physicians have called or labeled these areas, they've actually labeled our areas as diesel death zones, right? Um, places where you have a lot of diesel pollution, a lot of diesel trucks that are passing through, and that's correlated with with higher uh, asthma and cancer rates, unfortunately. And so, I personally have uh, borrowed a term from some colleagues of mine from the University of California Riverside and that term is the slow violence of the supply chain. And the reason why I use that term is because although you may not feel the impacts of these trucks or the logistics industry within a day, within a few weeks or maybe even a few years, eventually you will feel those impacts. And so it's almost a sl- it, it is a slow violence. And the slow violence is um you know being contributed to by companies like Amazon, companies like Walmart and developers like Hillwood Enterprises who is responsible for the expansion of the San Bernardino Airport that you hear a lot about, right? And so you have to wonder what are the costs of free shipping.
0: It's only getting worse because I know the San Bernardino Airport is now uh considering uh more cargo flights into the city, is that correct?
1: Yes. So San Bernardino International Airport has gone through a rapid expansion the last few years, and it's been really a process that has taken place not just over the last maybe 10 or 15 years or so, but for the last three decades, this this airport has been transformed from what it was formerly, which was an Air Force base that served military families and 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 the government for many years before then. Um and it was it was, you know, uh it was it was designed to meet the demands of the global economy. And, you know, I like to cite people like uh Professor Juan de Lara, who's a a, a professor at the at the University of Southern California who Studies a lot of urban development and land use, and he points out that that developers, uh, you know, uh, regional planners, local electives from our cities here all across Southern California. You know, thirty years ago, when some of us were barely entering this world, right when we we're you know born, I was born in nineteen ninety one. Around that same time, you already had these plans set in motion for the rampant uh, proliferation of not just goods and cargo coming from the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, but the proliferation of warehouses and warehouse space that would meet this high demand for goods in, in, in our region and beyond, right? And it's because I think cargo was already coming in at such rampant rates because of neoliberal policies like NAFTA and other policies. Um, I forget the one that's with between China and our country. I think it's like the WTO or that might have been scrapped. But anyway, my point is, is that, you know, the global economy and free trade and neoliberal politics has contributed to, um, you know, really the transition of a once rural community, a once uh, very blue-collar, uh, middle-class community into what it is now, which is unfortunately um, a community that is struggling um, to get back on its feet ever since that, uh, ironically, ever since that air uh, that air force base closed back in 1994, um, and also because of the bankruptcy that it endured back in 2012, and so. You have a combination of people uh, being unable to live uh, a decent life. Only four of 10 people in this region make a living wage. And then you have, um, you know, uh, just, you know, folks that have, you know, disproportionate rates of asthma and cancer, like I mentioned before, that, you know, have to go to the emergency room every other day or every other week because of their asthma, um, and then you have people that pass away because of cancer, right? And I could I could relate to that personally because, you know, I lost someone to cancer, um, and they live and they live next to a, a rail yard, a, a logistics hub, or a freight hub. And so, you have to think, you know, yes, San Bernardino needs to bounce back. San Bernardino aspires to be what people like to say an all American city, quote unquote. But the problem is, is at what cost are we doing that? And, and who are we turning this responsibility over to? And the problem is that there isn't enough oversight when it comes to this industry. And quite frankly, a lot of the leadership in this community has allowed for uh, companies like Amazon and developers to take advantage of them. You know, they've looked the other way um, and they've failed to challenge these leaders um, you know, as a result of you know instant gratification when it comes to development, and so the airport, you know, the airport is 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 you know to to borrow the terms that they use, and by they I mean like the San Bernardino, uh, you know, um, airport authority and the Inland Valley Development Agency. They like to say that the airport is undergoing a renaissance, right? That that the pristine years of yesterday, when the Air Force Base was around is going to come back, that people will once again have good jobs and be able to make decent wages. But so far, that hasn't come to fruition, right? And with this air cargo expansion that you brought up, right, with Amazon, um, folks were demanding things like community benefits agreements, right, demanding guarantees that they would have these good jobs, that they would have guarantees for clean air or at the very least mitigation efforts to try to bring in. Uh, you know, air filters and electric trucks—things that would improve the situation at hand—but they failed to listen. And you're talking about, you know, uh, hundreds of people testifying at, at, at hearings, uh, people holding direct actions. Uh, you know, back in on December second, two thousand nineteen, on on Cyber Monday, hundreds of people came out and they stopped the movement of goods because they wanted to make it clear to these people that we we were going to do whatever necessary to try to to try to get what we deserve. And unfortunately, they've yet to listen. And in fact, it's almost like they've gaslighted us in a way and said, "Well, what are you complaining about? These jobs aren't that bad. This economy, this industry is helping our community provide people jobs. Is helping our community bounce back." But I personally feel like that is a lie because we haven't seen those things happen. In fact, if anything, we continue. While the unemployment rate is a little low, it the job quality remains. And, I mean, I haven't even gotten into what's going on inside the warehouses, um, inside the Amazon warehouses. But, yeah, I mean, just a lot to unpack here, you know?
0: It's like, it's funny you say gaslighting because every time I see the opposition's rationale It's like, don't you want jobs? Don't you want an economy that's booming again? And it's like $16 an hour job in exchange for lung cancer or like, or exchange for asthma. Like that seems like a fair trade, right? Like what's wrong with you? And it's like, no, it's not a fair trade.
1: (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, it's not a fair trade at all. And in fact, it's actually a, it's actually a form of environmental racism. And when you have, these warehouses located in communities like San Bernardino, where you have a large percentage of of Black, Latino, Indigenous, and other communities of color living there, um, you know, there's a reason why they do that. Because they're not building warehouses in places like Rancho, and if they are, they're building them on the outskirts where it's all industrial. They're not. They're not getting away with literally building a warehouse 70 feet away from people's homes like you see in Bloomington or in Fontana or even San Bernardino, um, they're not doing that because, frankly, there's white folks living there. There's affluent folks living there that could speak up, right? And it's not to say that our folks can't speak up because they definitely can and, and folks have definitely proved that they have a voice in our communities. But the problem is, is because people... Are in a more disenfranchised or underserved community, um, you have these these folks that are just simply ignoring them because they know they could get away with it. They know that they have the structural and argu- arguably the cor- you know the corporate power, um, you know, to fend off any any sort of concerns from community. And and to me, it's environmental racism, Denise. I mean, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing, I think there's no other way to put it other than, you know, when you have developers that are able to come in and simply say, hey, well, you know what, this is going to be a good job for you. This is a good deal for you. Um, you know, and, and, and nothing happens from that. I mean, it's clear as day that there's some kind of situation going on, right? And I think, you know, I know there's 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 something that's fresh in my mind and and I want to convey this if I can, but yesterday there was a vote. Um, on a, on a recent and and it's related to the airport. There was a vote on the landing project uh, that was, you know, proposed by the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Now, let's keep in mind, San Manuel is a real good player when it comes to community service in this community. They've done a lot for not just the city of San Bernardino but for the Inland Empire you know they provided jobs to a lot of folks good paying jobs with benefits at the casino or through their clinics or through other uh, you know other forms of their of their business apparatus um, you know they've donated millions of dollars to charities and hospitals in the region however you know I have
0: a, I have a friend who uh, had a scholarship at UCR through them.
1: Oh really interesting yeah see mm-hmm. so, so even even supporting even supporting students, supporting folks that are in education. So I don't want to take away from San now. However, however, I will say, why is San Manuel going out of their way to build a project of this magnitude? Right? This project is actually bigger than the Eastgate Air Cargo facility, which is going to be operated by Amazon. This, you know, the Amazon uh, air cargo facility is about six hundred thousand square feet this san manuel warehouse on the other hand is about a little over a million square feet i want to say it's like 1.1 million square feet or something to that effect with i think over 110 cargo doors for loading which is insane which is insane and so it makes me wonder well what is what is happening here you know and, it, and it, it, it amazed me because you had people like Dignity Health. You had other folks who are in the health field speaking in support of this project, knowing very well what kind of air quality and health impacts this industry has had on its community members. I would bet $100 that a lot of the patients that go through Dignity Health probably have asthma, bronchitis, CLPD, or any of the other underlying issues that are caused by diesel pollution. And yet, they blindly supported this project, Denise. They blindly supported the project. And for me, it just demonstrates how pervasive this logistics industry, this logistics and warehouse industry is in our communities. And it's a little frightening, you know, because we fight really hard to push back on these folks we we, we 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 and we do it with facts we do it with data it's not like we're just you know excuse my language talking out of our, our our ass or you know just talking <laughs> yeah. bullshit you know bullshit right we're not
0: just being snowflakes as they would <laughs>
1: say <laughs> yeah exactly you know i mean it's it's we're here speaking facts right and you know a lot of times people try to spin the facts and say, well, y'all just want to kill jobs and you want to, like, drive, you know, people out of this community. It's not, it, it's far from that. You know, I, I could tell you myself, you know, my, my mom was a warehouse worker. My dad is a truck driver. Um, you know, they work, they've worked in this industry and they've given a lot of their time and effort to this industry. And that's the problem is that our communities give too much time. They give their blood, sweat, and tears to this industry. And they get nothing back in return. What do they get in return? They get shitty air pollution. They get shitty wages, shitty working conditions. And at the end of the day, they die from a slow violence at the hands of the supply chain. Simply because companies like Amazon want to strengthen their bottom line and and get the same-day shipping to folks in our communities right and and it's tough it's, it's it's a conundrum because you you know it's i think we're beyond the point of pushing back against some of these developments unfortunately these developments are built so rapidly and so quickly that it's almost impossible in a lot of ways to try to You know, stop a project. You know, because if you stop one project, there's another one, or there's maybe three or four more that are being proposed, and there's just it's just tough. You know, it's tough. So I don't want to be a negative. You know, I don't want to sound negative or anything like that. But you know, it's the reality we're living through, and you know, it's it's a conundrum. But I think there are solutions, and you know, I think I think people just have to be willing to you know to to be able to buy into these solutions because they are really strong solutions but you know it's up to us as a community to see how we want to do that you know
0: yeah so speaking of solutions i i think i posted on my story once something like boycott amazon on this day and i knew that would stir like the pot a little with friends because even my friends who consider themselves pretty politically active are like boycott Amazon like I buy all my stuff from Amazon like Amazon has been so convenient that even people who who consider themselves progressive won't stop buying from Amazon right because it's just part of their life. Even the most blue, liberal, progressive uh, person still has an Amazon account and probably orders maybe a few times a month because it's just so convenient. And like you said, maybe we're at this point where it's too late to, you know, stop the warehouse uh, logistics industry from, you know, buying up all the real estate in the IE. I mean, we can never say it's too late. You could definitely, you know, push back. Absolutely. But a lot of people say well, that's not realistic like people love Amazon they're going to buy their stuff um and the, people want their two-day shipping it's part of our society it's embedded in our culture now so what i hear a lot is well why can't we just switch the the trucks to electric vehicles and why can't we make everything electric or more green right uh, is that part of the solution or is that not enough or what what's your opinion on 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 what i've just spit out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean this is uh those are all great points. I mean, and I'll start with with what you just said about electric trucks. Electric trucks are a part of the solution. And here's why. Electric truck technology is here. It's here, and it's rapidly expanding and it's rapidly growing. And you have a lot of manufacturers and companies including Amazon that are Beginning to make moves to transition to clean electric trucks. Right? The issue with that, however, is it's not happening quick enough and it's not there are still barriers in regards to um, in regards to how how much access people have. And a lot of that has to do with costs. But I will say the costs are being uh you know they're they're lowering dramatically and a lot of it is because the technology is now becoming more readily available right so as you may recall the governor back in September of last year um issued an executive order um to phase out the sale of gas powered vehicles beginning in 2035 which is a a, a great step right Aside from that, the state also passed what's called an advanced clean fleet rule, which is going to make sure that um, the sale of trucks, of new trucks, are also all electric by 2035. And so what's going on now is as we inch closer to 2035, you're going to see different classes of manufacturers. Of, of of manufacturing, which means, you know, essentially you have different classes of trucks, right? And I know this is very wonky, so I'll try to make it as easy as possible. Um but pretty much you have, you know, your 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 heavy duty trucks, which are like, you know, your big rigs, your um, you know, your semi trucks, your, you know, your garbage trucks, and then you have your medium duty vehicles, which are, you know, your delivery vans, um, buses Things of that sort, right? And so, you know, all these classifications of trucks, as we inch closer to 2035, are gonna begin to transition into electric trucks. And I think that process is actually gonna begin three years from now in 2024. And the sector that is actually the most prime for this transition is the delivery uh, sector. And the reason why is because. You know, there's already delivery, electric delivery vans that are being rolled out in Southern California. In fact, by Amazon themselves. Right. Amazon partnered with Rivian, which is it was a startup company that was created as a result of what's been going on politically um, and economically with these trucks. And they're beginning to roll these vans out. The problem is, is, you know, how fast is that happening? Um, How much pushback are we facing from the industry Um, And also, you know, you saw one issue by bringing electric trucks. But what about the other issue, which is the land use issue, the issue with developing warehouses? Right. And so, you know, I think I think there's a lot of work to be done. But I feel like in regards to the technology, in regards to the trucks, I think there's a lot of activity going on. And I think the next push that advocates are demanding is for, uh, you know, is for the state to pair this electric truck manufacturing rule with what's called an advanced clean fleet rule so that truck fleets that these companies operate all transition to electric, right? Because it's like, okay, you have, you have one truck or you have several trucks that will be electric, right? And that's great. But if you don't get entire truck fleets, which sometimes make up hundreds, if not thousands, of trucks, right, then you're still going to have that issue. Because you might have, like, maybe, let's say, you have a a truck fleet of 100 trucks, right, and maybe 10 of those are electric, but then the other 90 are diesel or natural gas. Then the problem still lies, right? And that's the other thing, Denise, is that Amazon was over here talking shit about, oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to take, we're going to have our climate pledge and all this bullshit, right? But the first thing these idiots do is they make a move to transition their truck fleet to gas. And gas is still polluting. It might be less polluting than diesel, but you're still contributing to nit- nitrogen dioxide when you're, you know, to NOx when, you're, when your engines are, are are combusting, right? So it's still dirty. It's not clean. So when people try to lie and pull the wool over your eyes and tell you, that natural gas is clean, they're bullshitting you because there's nothing clean about gas, right? And and so and so you know that's one part of the solution, but I think you have to look at the other side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is the land use, right? Because electric trucks is great. I'm all for electric trucks, but you could have an electric truck and you could still have a warehouse next to your, you know, next to your school, next to your home right? And I think it's also addressing that as well, right? It's addressing the land use and the land use designations. What a lot of times happens, needs to accommodate these warehouses is you'll have a planning commission or you'll have a city council and they'll come in and they'll say, hey, you know what? Well, there's a lot of open land here, but you know what? There's a problem. This is residential land right now. It's It's designated as residential land. So how do we convey or how do we persuade these city council members to pass ordinances or pass laws that are going to change this land use from residential to light industrial or industrial. So politically or legally, we could build these warehouses here, right? And that's oftentimes what happens is they'll make those moves. They'll persuade the community that this is the right move. Sometimes they'll even buy out the community by purchasing their homes, um, in order to accommodate these warehouses, right? So it's like a form of industrial gentrification in a lot of ways, you know? And it's only benefiting um, people like Amazon, people like Jeff Bezos. And so um, so I think it's, it's a two-faceted issue and maybe even more than that, a multifaceted issue. But to answer your question, electric trucks is a part of the solution. It's one facet of the solution, right? But even with that, we have to be really careful... How we transition to this uh, new technology, because you know um, the deployment of electric trucks is going to require for the use of batteries, and what consists of electric batteries, lithium, and where do we get lithium from? Oftentimes, we get them from lithium deposits in South America, right? Extraction, and so if we're going to be doing that, we can't be extracting minerals in a way that is exploitative, in a way that is colonial, in a way that does nothing to change the same systems that are, that have been hurting not just our communities, but also communities of color and really, uh, you know, frontline frontline communities all, all across the world, right? From South America to Africa to Asia and so on, you know, and, and, and even here, right? Because there's already plans to try to develop... Uh, Sources of lithium here in in places like the Salton Sea, but you know we have to be careful. We have to be careful because I think I think there's always a balance, right? You have you have um, you have your environs who are well intentioned, but sometimes they don't think outside the box or they don't think about the ramifications of the industry. And I think that's why, as environmental justice advocates, we have to be rooted. In in theory, that considers not just the environment and the air quality, but considers the people who have been disproportionately affected, not just by environmental racism, but by racism in general and, you know, and and really imperialist attitudes around around how we consume. And so, you know, uh, the last thing I'll say, because I know I've said a lot, is that when it comes to consumer attitudes... You know, I don't think it's right or fair, and this is just my personal opinion, to to shame um, consumers for shopping online or for shopping on Amazon. If I had it my way, obviously I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to shop on Amazon or, or depend on Amazon. But the thing is, is like you said, right? They're so entrenched in the the you know in the economy that it's almost difficult to not depend on Amazon, especially in communities like ours. Where you really don't have a lot of brick and mortar places when you don't really have a lot of businesses um you know, but i think I think it's embracing what's here locally, right you know before the interview started, you and I were talking about San Bernardino and how San Bernardino has strong culture and a strong sense of community well I think the first thing people could do is instead of shopping online is that they could embrace their local economy and their local community um by purchasing, you know, from local companies, right? If you need to buy food, you know, there's community gardens. If you need, if you wanna buy something that is artsy or some clothing, there's, you know, folks that make clothing, folks that make, you know, jewelry. Um, So it's, you know, it's it's finding different ways and it's, excuse me, I know it's easier said than done, but I think it's really taking a deeper look at yourself and telling yourself, well, how can I shift the paradigm and how can I uh, divest from Amazon, you know? And I think the first step, Denise, is canceling your Prime account, is what I would say. But I don't know, I don't know, what do you think?
0: (laughs) I mean, I, I have definitely consciously tried to shift away from Amazon. And I am probably the only person in my friend group who could even say that because I've I've, you know, I'm like that annoying woke friend in my circles and they're like, yeah, 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 it's problematic. But like two day shipping, though. And I'm like, OK, so the culture hasn't shifted yet. But at least me being the first person in my friend group who's like, I am definitely shifting out of this and trying to see like should challenge myself to be more, um, I guess, Aware of my community and how I could support my small businesses around me, and even not even just small businesses, but how I could like grow food in my own uh, home. Um, I know during quarantine, a lot of people started far, uh, growing gardens and farming, and I think thanks to quarantine and COVID, maybe people are are realizing that this land is it is uh, it is sacred. Like we can't just expect to take 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 and take and not you know, receive any uh, repercussions after we take so much. So I I really think we're being challenged to look at the way our society runs differently. And Amazon is a part of that Uh, target big distribution chains like Walmart. They're all a part of that. Um, Maybe we're just being challenged to see how we can, uh, you know, provide for ourselves in healthier ways. That's just my opinion.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think we're at a point where we're running out of space, we're running out of time in regards to the climate crisis, right, um, because the climate crisis is here. I, and I don't even say climate change anymore, I say the climate crisis, because when, when you see what happened in Texas and when you see what's been going on, I mean, all across the world, really, with climate disasters, it's here it's here and um i think it's up to us to try to find innovative ways to try to change this this culture this culture of extraction this culture of exploitation this slow violence of the supply chain that has really worn people out to the point where they have nothing right where it's just you know destruction and death um, uh, uh, unfortunately but I think that could change, and I think it starts with us and it starts with uh, with the generation right now because a lot of us are working at Amazon, not me per se obviously, but a lot of people we know are working at amazon whether it's um whether it's uh you know friends family members you know parents um we're 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 working in in this industry um you know and we're we're giving a lot with nothing in return and so I think it's uh I think it's a matter of challenging people. And I think, you know, it's you have folks that are doing that. Obviously, our group does that all the time. But aside from that, you have, you know, people like, you know, Councilman Ben Rain Also, I mean, the fact that he's calling for a warehouse moratorium, I think, is a huge step in the right direction, right? And I know he's not the first one to do that in this region, or maybe even the first one to do that in this state. But... I think he's the first person in an area like San Bernardino where there is a, a, a lot of political corruption and a lot of backhanded, in my opinion, a lot of backhanded deals with developers to to get these projects done. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's taking a bold step in calling for a moratorium, and I have to agree with him because how much more are people going to accept? I mean, I'm for... You know, if a development is here and we have to demand good jobs and clean air, like with the Community Benefits Agreement push, uh, you know, that's great. But if you were to ask me personally as an individual, I would I would rather not see these structures be built at all, because what are they really giving back to our community? Right. I mean, they haven't given my my people good jobs. Um, You know, I could argue that they've worn out people that I love, right? And they've depleted the livelihoods of people that I care about, and it's unfair. And so I think we just have to do better and demand better, and I think that cultural shift is happening now. It's been happening, and I'm optimistic. But at the same time, you know, it is is an uphill battle, and I think we really need stronger allies, not just on the ground in the streets, not just, you know... Um, in academics but we need people who are holding these power positions in political office to do more and to challenge more and you know I think that's beginning to happen but you know it's going to be it's going to be a while and I hope you know we just continue to you know move in the right direction when it comes to this stuff so I mean it it is a conundrum but at the same time I, I do feel like with community uh, resistance, you know, change can happen, and I feel like, I think it starts now, and it starts, like I said, with our generations and the generations to come after. I
0: think it also starts with taking the trash out in your local city officials, uh, in your <laughs> local government.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're, you're right, right. I think the representation here is shitty, um, you know, and I would even argue that the folks that are people of color. The folks that are in these positions that come from our backgrounds and from our communities have sold us out, and they've sold us out for the for the highest bidder. I mean, there's a lot of names that come to mind um, when I say that, right? You know, yeah, definitely, generally speaking, a lot of the leadership here are white males, white people who are not in touch with the changing demographics and the changing landscape of our community. They're still stuck in this era where you know, it was an all-American city, it was an all-American region that had, you know, American values and family values and all that j- shit, right? The, the American exceptionalist constructs, right? But, you know, I think I think at the same time, I, I would say that, especially when it comes to our issues here in Southern California, right? I know we're focused on the IE, but Southern California as a whole... You have a lot of elected officials who are Latino, who are black, who are Asian, that um, are working with industry. Aquanetta Warren, the mayor of Fontana, uh, she, you know, there's a nickname for her, Warehouse Warren. And she was quoted saying, you know what, Warehouse Warren, I actually like that. It has a nice ring to it because she doesn't care because she thrives on warehouse development. In fact, she, her whole campaign, Promise is centered around warehouse development, and if the people in her community are supporting that kind of thing, she's always going to get votes, right? And that's kind of been the case recently, but I feel like that's changing because now there's more community members in South Montana and other areas that are that are pushing back, um, and then you have front groups, industry front groups, like United Latinos Vote um, and others, that have been. Um, essentially influenced financially or politically by fossil fuel companies to do their bidding for them. Right. And so you'll have these Latino politicians or others go in front of the Chamber of Commerce or you'll have like these Chamber of Commerce, like the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the African-American Chamber of Commerce, come out and speak in opposition of electric trucks or in support of gas pipelines or in support of warehouse developments because they have a stake of interest in in whatever going on, right? And so, I mean, it's 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 you know, it's it's tough because I feel like again, right, to use the whole gaslighting construct, I think a lot of times our own people will try to gaslight us into saying, well, you know what, like you're just like those coastal elites from San Francisco and Oakland that just want electric vehicles and you know we can't afford them. And it's like, okay, I hear what you're saying because to an extent you're right, right? These, these things aren't available in our communities to a certain extent, but they're not available in our communities because you have failed to stand up to the industry and, and acknowledge that we need more investments, right? We need to make incentives so that people could afford these technologies um and more importantly like you mentioned earlier we need people to stand up and 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 represent us in a way that goes beyond just getting a vote or getting a campaign contribution um and i think and i think that's why you know we have to really question ourselves in a lot of ways and look in the mirror you know and say hey look just because you're a latino just because you're black just because you're asian or whatever or and even indigenous right just because you fit that category, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from criticism, and it doesn't mean that we're going to play identity politics just because you're our homie or just because you look like me. you know what i'm saying and and i think and I think we have to like we have to look at this from a very different lens, and I feel like um I feel like it's happening but in southern california it's it's really, really tough because these companies have entrenched themselves in our communities and they've given. Uh, food baskets and 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 organized campaign drives and stuff like that for the greater good of the community, but underneath that, there is a uh there is a well oiled machine uh that is really really driving um you know not just climate change but really driving profit at the cost of who at the cost of community and so Um, so yeah, I mean, we got to do better and we got to elect better people for sure.
0: What's that phrase you were saying? Uh, slow death by the supply chain. Is that what you you said earlier? Uh,
1: Slow, slow violence of the supply chain.
0: Okay. So, so I, when I hear that it's more than just environmental racism, um, I also hear exploitation of labor and I know we kind of briefly touched on it, but, What's wrong with more jobs in this community? Don't you want more jobs? These people are living nearly in poverty. What's wrong with more jobs? And I, I, you know, I ask that obviously with sarcasm because I, I, I think I. <laughs> I what's wrong with these jobs? Don't you want jobs?
1: Well, what's wrong with these jobs is that these jobs aren't paying a living wage. I mean, they're paying about you know fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour, which is, I mean, I guess considered a living wage. But then when you are paying. Over a thousand dollars, or maybe sometimes close to two thousand dollars in rent, and then you have to pay for health insurance and all these different things, the costs add up, right? And I think the jobs in this industry are simply not good jobs, right? And that's touching on warehouse jobs. But if you look at the other side of that, you have, uh, you know, the trucking industry, which is actually undergoing rampant, rampant exploitation. Um, through what's called misclassification, right? And so what's going on is a lot of these truck drivers that you see drive from the ports of L.A. and Long Beach all the way to our communities um, delivering these goods back and forth, a lot of these truckers are considered uh, independent contractors. And some of them aren't even supposed to be uh, classified as independent contractors. And the reason why is because... um, you know, an independent contractor usually purchases their own truck. Um, you know, is 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 uh, in charge of their own logistics in the sense of like you know deciding how many, uh, how much cargo they're gonna you know deliver and, and things of that sort. But what often happens is these companies will misclassify them so that they could have more control, despite them having to purchase their own trucks, despite them having to you know, despite them not having, uh, you know, job benefits like health care and other things, right? And what that's doing is it's driving a business model that is putting profit over people. And let me explain why a little bit, right? Um, so the Labor Commission, the, the, the California Labor Commission, did about 500 investigations a couple years back. And there's a really good USA Today story on this. And this story found that trucking companies were misclassifying drivers in order to benefit their bottom lines. What does that mean? It means that, you know, a truck driver would say, you know, let's say I'm a truck driver and let's say I make about, uh, you know, let's say like $2,000 every check or something like that, right? What they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, you have to pay for the trucking costs, right? You have to pay your truck. You know, you have to make the payment for your truck, right? Because they're paying that the trucks off. Because obviously they can't buy it at, at at one. You know, you know they can't buy it at once, right? And so, um, and then they have to like, you know, pay for other things, right? They have to pay for their own health insurance. Um, they have to pay for uh, you know, all these different things. So by the time they get their check from the company that they're pulling cargo from. Oftentimes, they only get paid like $100. There was a person who was supposed to get paid $2,000, and at the end of all those costs, they only got about $50 back. And so it's indentured—it's modern-day indentured servitude, right? And they're earning very low wages. They're forced to finance the high cost of these trucks, which, by the way, are, are very dirty trucks. So what does that do? It, it really forces drivers into a very bad situation where they either choose, okay, I'm gonna be a slave to this industry because I want this new truck, I want this efficient truck to be able to pull these goods. Or what they're gonna do is they're gonna say, you know what, fuck it. I'm just gonna use a dirtier truck because that's all I could afford and therefore I'm gonna use this truck. But what does that do in return? What that does is that it causes more harm to the environment and I'm not blaming the drivers. And I'm not blaming the workers because that's, you know, that's the other thing, right? A lot of times they try to pit labor against environmental justice folks. And I think right now we've been working in lockstep because I think we both sides now understand that the same people that live in these communities are the same people that are being exploited by the industry, right? And so... You know, what happens is a lot of these trucks are not in compliance, right? They're not meeting compliance of California's emissions rules. Um, about 61% of contracted drivers um, are not meeting this rule, like I think up to 60%, right? And so, and the sector that is actually most out of compliance is what's called the dredge sector uh, sector, which is pretty much in a nutshell the the trucking sector that does like short haul trips so from the ports to like our area right, and just connecting to like different ports within southern california um and you know a lot of these folks are struggling struggling real bad um and so you know these are not good jobs, right, whether you're a trucker, whether you're a warehouse worker um the industry is really extracting a lot from you physically, economically, financially, whatever. Uh, health wise, um, it's really just driving the costs of living um, really, really up. And it's, it's getting real difficult for these people to survive. And, you know, I could go into a quick little history lesson, but I won't. But, you know, to put it into perspective, this industry has been like this for over 40 years now, the trucking industry, that is. And that was also a result of neoliberal policies to accommodate corporations like Amazon, Walmart, and the corporations that are making profit off our backs. And so, I mean, you know, this is set up by design, and it's set up by design for a reason. And it's because the global economy sees Southern California as a gateway to their cash flow. And they're doing it off the backs, off our backs, literally. And also off of our lungs, because we're dying as a result. And like I said, it's a slow violence, because it's a slow violence on our bodies. It's a slow violence on our, on our labor, you know, and it's just a horrible way, um, just a horrible way to work. And it's unfair to a lot of people, a lot of people that look like us. It's unfair to people like my dad, you know, it's unfair, I'm sure, to people that you know, you know. And so um, it's, it's tough. It's, it's very tough.
0: Do you think Amazon could ever be unionized, and would that even help at this point?
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think that unions are definitely making a comeback. I think unions have been depleted as a result of, again, policies and government inaction or action, however you want to put it, on trying to deplete uh, the power of unions in this country. But I would say yes, and it's happening in places like Alabama where workers are beginning to rise up. You know, in New York, we saw that a couple months ago or or about a year ago. And I think the Inland Empire, I always say this, the Inland Empire to me is the epicenter of the fight uh, against Amazon and really the fight against this industry in a lot of ways because we have the highest concentration of Amazon warehouses nationwide Um, You know, Amazon has the largest warehouse in North America here, which is the Eastvale Warehouse uh, off the 15 Freeway, Um, you know, and and I think, you know, what's happening in Alabama is super critical because Alabama, places like Alabama, places like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and other places go unseen. But they're also, in, in essence, inland ports that are serving the supply chain. But the reason why I say the inland empire is because this is the center of Amazon's logistics operations, and any kind of organizing that happens among workers in this community is gonna have a drastic change on how Amazon treats its employees. And I think it might take a little while, but I'm confident. And I don't want to say too much because I, you know, I'm not from a union. I don't represent unions and. I, I I come at this from the environmental justice perspective, but I will say that you know we are working alongside labor and we are doing our best to show solidarity because again you know we have family members that work in these places and I think uh, you know this is a working class community and I think if we want any chance at improving the quality of life we have to demand change in the way that we treat our employees. The way the rights that employees have with this industry, um, you know, and really try to break up this this monopoly, because Amazon is a monopoly, and we have to break it up. And if anything, maybe even destroy it. I mean, you know, companies have been destroyed, companies have been pushed back on, right? And any company, aside from poisoning its communities, uh, extracting from the laborers. And more importantly, any company that works with an agency like ICE and the Department of Homeland Security to police and to cage our people should should not exist, in my opinion. And so I would want to fight for its extinction. But I know that's easier said than done, and I know not everyone agrees. But I think at the very least, we definitely need... um, To unionize and i think it's possible i mean it's just gonna take a lot of political will and a lot of organizing on the ground for sure
0: are there any takeaways uh from 2020 and amazon and uh how workers were treated during this time when they amazon increased its profits exponentially do you have anything to share about that
1: um yeah i mean i think 2020 is proof that amazon is a shitty employer I mean, if it wasn't clear before, it should definitely be clear now because Amazon has had hundreds of violations as a result of their negligence when addressing the the coronavirus and addressing the impacts that that's had on workers. You've had workers complain about not having proper, uh, uh, you know, PPE, uh, you know, not having... Uh, adequate protocol to uh, ensure that social distancing was occurring during work hours, um, you know, uh, not having access to paid time off like some other people did and some other employers did for their employees. So the list goes on and on and on, you know, not to mention that, you know, uh, organizers and activists have been you know and this is documented right they're watching us they're probably watching people like me I mean because of what we do Um, so surveillance right Um, intimidation um, all sorts of things that are going down right And, and so I think 2020 to me was an indication that Amazon is an evil empire and that Jeff Bezos is full of shit when he's talking about climate pledges when he's talking about clinics, when he's talking about all this shit, right? Because let me let me tell you something, Denise, right? Like, you know, we we come from backgrounds, right? I mean, I'll speak for myself, right? Like, my my mom is Honduran; she's from Honduras, and you know, there was a the United Fruit Company in Central America really monopolized the way that that economy grew, and that was also a supply chain, right? They were. They were providing, you know, extracting and providing bananas to white Americans, right? And people across, you know, Europeans or whatever, right? And what happened? They created company towns, right? They created company towns, right? The, the town that my mom's from, Tela Atlantida, um, was a company town. And it was ran by a company, a subsidiary that worked for, with the United Fruit Company, and you could argue that a community like Eastvale, a community like Jurupa Valley, a community like San Bernardino are company towns for companies like Amazon, right? And um, the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, these companies are evil empires, right? And this is the modern form, like I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, This is the modern-day Standard Oil Company, the modern-day United Fruit Company, the modern-day whatever, right? The companies that throughout our nation's history have shitted on communities, right, and extracted from communities. And this is no different, right? Um, And so it's just a part of the global capitalist machine that is making our lives unstable, to say the least, right? And I think we need to really challenge ourselves and it does start with ourselves but i think it also starts with challenging the powers that be you know and making people understand that when you click on your phone or when you shop online that there is a whole story around why this industry is so bad you know but it takes a lot of education it takes a lot of will and i think um you know, I think the work needs to be done. But, you know, I feel like a lot of people are willing to do that. I think we just have to do the work to make sure that this is making sense to them. You know what I'm saying?
0: Thank you for being one of those activists that are out there helping people understand. I really appreciate you coming on and taking a dive with me about this. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I've really only started focus- like listening to this issue maybe in the last year. Um, it caught my attention after I lived in San Bernardino and I noticed how much worse the air was only within like a 20, 30 minute drive from LA County. Um, I mean, you could just, you could argue all of Southern California has really toxic air, but in San Bernardino, you, you definitely feel it. You can inhale oh, it. Oh yeah, the, absolutely. It's, You know, it's surrounding you. You could see the, uh, the smog, uh, sitting at the base of the mountains, um, So, yeah, thank you for doing the work. And if there's people out there that are listening, what's, like, the biggest takeaway or the biggest, like, urgent message you'd want to send
1: out? That's a great question. I think the biggest thing that I want people to take away from this is to be mindful of the costs of free shipping. Because we often don't think about where these products come from or how these products are even delivered to our doors but we have to consider that and we also have to consider what these people are going through the people that are providing us with these goods and so just making sure that you know people are more conscious of what's going on um you know and I'm not one to shame people for shopping online or for shopping on Amazon because, I mean, we're, you know, there's no, in my opinion, there's really no such thing as ethical consumption when we're living under capitalism, right? And so we shouldn't be shaming each other for that because we're all, we're all complicit, we're all guilty of this, right? With that, with that being said, I think it is important to be mindful of what's going on and how people are trying to change that. And so, you know, I think I think that's what I want them to take away, right? And I want them to understand that there is a cost to free shipping. And the people that are paying that cost, well, the people that are paying that cost is you. You and I. And people that are listening. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, if I could just add, like, some personal experience. Like, when I taught, whenever I, like, I'm highly critical of capitalism... I've noticed that most black and brown people distrust capitalism because most black, brown, people of color, indigenous people, of you know, have been usually the exploitation workforce under a capitalistic society. But once I start to talk to my white friends who, you know, I love, who are my friends, even if they're progressive or liberal, they're like, wait, what's wrong with capitalism? I'm like, bro, you've never had your family like treated like sla- like nearly like endangered servants or slaves literally you know in, if you're of African descent slaves. Uh, so of course you're not gonna see what's wrong with capitalism because you've always been the person that the box has been shipped to. You haven't been the person that's working packing the box uh, in like having their fingers like die of carpal tunnel. you know what I mean like and that's I think this messaging, is getting more to the mainstream with each generation because before even just months ago i would have conversations with friends whether they were white or not you know you know not all skin folk or kin folk there's also like latinos or anyone else out there who may have this like highly capitalistic frame of mind that's like yeah the economy is the most important thing in the world why like right but i think people are starting to switch their views especially after covid especially after like that's such a traumatic year where we're like yeah well you know what's important is like your physical health what's important is your 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 mind, your body, your soul and your family like do you really want to destroy yourself for a dollar or for a company's bottom line and I, I think that's actually starting to go beyond the workforce that usually was being exploited and it's starting to reach at least I'm hopeful that it's starting to reach the people who these economies you benefited from historically?
1: Definitely, definitely. And I think I think there are white folks that are a part of this workforce, right? They are blue-collar workers. But to your point, yeah, I mean, who benefits from these structures? White people, right? Because they, they're the ones that set up the system, right? They're the ones that created capitalism, I mean, in a nutshell, you know? Because, you know... We didn't ask to be colonized. I mean, we didn't ask to be, you know, in, uh, I don't want to speak for black folks, but black folks didn't ask to be slaves, right? They didn't even ask to come to this continent, arguably, right? So, you know, and and if you want to talk about Latinos and our people, you know, there's been a lot of programs like the Bracero Program and other other forms of... of arguably indentured servitude that have occurred as a result of capitalism but i think i think it's important to recognize that you know the working class as a whole i think needs to unite and i think we've seen that right i mean fred hampton is a person that really conveyed the importance of uniting all across the working class. Prioritizing black people for sure, you know, but also uplifting white working class people, right? Because at the end of the day, it's the elite structure and the power structures. And it's always the same families and the same people that have benefited from this, right? And Jeff Bezos is actually uh, kind of an anomaly because, I mean, he wasn't necessarily always rich and he wasn't always at the top. But once he did become rich and once he was at the top, which he is now, I mean, you know, his whiteness and his power have allowed him to benefit and have allowed him to squash communities under him. And so, you know, it is very, very, very rooted in racial capitalism um, indeed. And I think, uh, you know, the white folks that are negligent or naive to this issue, my message to them is, Yo, you gotta, you gotta fucking step the fuck back, and really listen, and really acknowledge what's going on, right? And check your privilege because you're absolutely right, Denise. I mean, they haven't been through what we've been through. They're not working like, you know, I'm sure, I'm certain a lot of them haven't had their parents work in this industry, right? And so. You know, I think I think it's important, right, to to call them in, right? If they are friends, if they are allies.
0: I think this is, you know, people like you are helping reach, you know, across to different aisles and you know, I thank you for it and thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh one last question. I always say I'm going to wrap things up and then sure. I, something pops into my mind and then uh, I'm like uh, oh, <laughs> on here for hours. <laughs> What is the next project in the inland Empire that you think people should pay attention to in terms of environmental justice? Uh, If people wanted to start Googling, wanted to start following pages or following like government uh, officials' meetings, what's the next big project that people should really be alert of?
1: Oh, man. I mean, there's so many, you know, like I mentioned earlier, but... I mean, I would say instead of following a particular project, I would say follow particular organizations and particular issues. And I'll say as far as issues, I would say definitely follow this issue that we just discussed today, which is the expansion of the logistics industry and Amazon in particular, Amazon's role in that. And I think as far as organizations, right, follow the People's Collective for Environmental Justice. Follow... Uh, the My Generation campaign, the Sierra Club My Generation campaign. Follow Earth Justice, which is uh, you know, they've you know, shout out to them. They've done a great job of representing communities like ours in court against some of these corporations and developers. Um, you know, follow um you know, follow I'm trying to think of just other folks, you know. Um Follow people like East Yard Communities for Environmental Justice. They're out of Long Beach. Shout out to them as well. They're a lot of, you know, they're great thought partners with us. Um, you know, and really just really just follow the issue itself. Because I think, you know, our organizations are here. But I think in reality, at the end of the day, the people that are really going to make the true change are going to be those community members and the communities themselves that are going to drive this, right? Because I think our whole purpose in this work is to not uplift ourselves, right? I mean, I'm only a conduit in a way of 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 like connecting people, right? And making these connections. But, you know, I you know, I would you know, there's a lot of people that are out there that are that are, you know, mothers, you know, students, children, I mean, elders that are really really fighting tooth and nail against this industry, so I mean, just just pay attention and pay attention to the issues. And, you know, if you know someone that works at Amazon or that suffers from asthma, really listen to them because there's a reason why they have asthma. There's a reason why they're probably tired all the time. It's because they're being exploited and they're being poisoned. And so the source of that is usually a polluting entity or a polluting structure. And so, um, you know, but, yeah, I mean... but thank you, Denise, for having me on. Really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, hope hope we can talk more about you know uh, some more solutions in the future.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much to Anthony Victoria for talking to me about the Inland Empire and its environmental issues that it's facing right now, and how it affects all of us in Southern California and across the nation. As we try to move on from this pandemic that hasn't really moved on from us, I encourage everyone to look around them, look at their everyday lives, and see if we can't collectively come up with a better and more sustainable future, not just for ourselves, but for our generations to come. Until next time, take care.